Uh, hi everyone, welcome back to season 3 of Making Waves. This is our second episode, so if you haven't seen our first episode yet, make sure to check it out and you can learn about all of our new hosts, including, including me. For those who are new here, my name is Jonathan and my pronouns are he, him, and his. My name is Becca, I use she, her pronouns. My name is Suksavon, I use they, them pronouns. Awesome. So before we begin, we just wanted to do a couple of announcements. We wanted to acknowledge that Oregon State University in Corvallis, Oregon is located on the traditional homelands of the Mary's River or Apinefu Band of Kalapuya. Following the Willamette Valley Treaty of 1855, Kalapuya people were forcibly removed to reservations of Western Oregon. Today, living descendants of these people are part of the Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde community of Oregon and the Confederated Tribes of the Silets Indians. Uh, for Phoenix, Arizona, it is on the traditional homelands of the Akamel, Atham, and the Salt River, Maricopa, Prima native communities. Here at Making Ways, we illuminate the experience of Asian and Pacific Islanders here at Oregon State University. We facilitate dialogue surrounding cultural culture and diversity and hope to dive into some of the complexities of the Asian and Pacific Islander experience. Whether this be pop culture, social identity, multiculturalism, or anything among many of the topics we hope to cover. We hope that you can resonate with our stories as well as expose yourself to some of the new ideas and perspectives. Awesome. And so to start off our second episode, we do have a special guest with us here today, and um, her name is Daisy. Yes, my name is Daisy. Uh, my, she, uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm a student success peer facilitator at the APCC. Um, I'm a double major in digital communication arts and photography. Awesome. Thanks, Daisy. And so the reason she's um, joining us here today is because she's working on a docuseries called I Am But I Am Not where she covers issues relating to API identity and intersectionality. And so to keep in mind, to keep on the lookout for that um, whenever, the, whenever we do drop it, and for the interesting um, conversations and uh, topics she'll be covering in that docuseries as well. Uh, and so just as a little introduction to what um, intersection, intersectionality is, we do have the definition right here. So Daisy? Oh, yes. So this is Paul from Merriam-Webster. Um, the definition of intersectionality is the complex and cumulative way in which the effects of multiple forms of discrimination, such as racism, sexism, and classism, uh, combine, overlap, or intersect, especially in the experiences of marginalized individuals or groups. Awesome. And so I guess we can spend a little time and for the viewers as well to like kind of soak that in and really uh, reflect on our own personal um, identity as well. And so I guess as we do that, we can move on to the first question. Yeah, so um, my docuseries um, focuses a lot on uh, different parts of API identity. And so one of the ways that we can kind of dissect that is to uh, see what people's upbringings were like. So that's the kind of the first question I like to pose to everybody. Um, what was your upbringing like? And um, did you ever feel like you, you didn't belong? For me, I, I was raised by a single parent who is Dene or Navajo. 
Um, and so something really great though that she did was um, she learned how to cook Laotian food before my father left. And so I was raised with Laotian food. Um, and funny thing, she only knows how to like make Laotian food. Um, but she wanted us to like keep our culture with us. Um, and I think that's like a thing of like love um, and how complex like Asian identity is. So I was more raised with like my Diné teachings than like Laotian teachings. Um, and something that I really want to do is explore that identity more uh, because my father did immigrate here to America. And so I would be second generation um, and like changed his name when he got here. And so my name is Suksavon um, and he changed his name to Tom. Um, and so my name is Suksavon Tom Kiyovor Booth because he wanted to like assimilate more into Western culture and didn't want to be Asian anymore. Um, specifically at a time where like he moved here when um, during the Vietnam War. And so it was like you definitely could not be Asian or should be Asian essentially, um, which is really sad. Um, and did you ever feel like you didn't belong? I think so, yeah, and like in a lot of ways, um, as like Angela was saying that we, growing up in like predominantly white spaces, you do become the only type of person in, or person of color in the group. Um, and like, I've had people be like, oh, I wanna tan like you. And it's like, this is my skin color, what are you talking about? And then, um, or like people, when I tell them that I am Asian um, and native, they're like, oh, you're only Asian or you're only native. And it's like, you, like I can't be both because I am both. Um, and this idea that like, I think being biracial allows me to like understand more of like how complex these identities are, one in general, and two like, how it shaped my experience of the world and so I most of the time I didn't ever feel like I belonged um and it was really scary like coming into this position even like I was afraid to like step into APCC because I wasn't sure if I was like Laotian enough or Asian enough because I only know the food um but to that I want to say like that does show like I I am and, and regardless if you know the culture or not like you still are or have connections in a lot of ways um, to that identity so I wish I like had that knowledge before like this knowledge today right now to like tell younger me that I do belong or feel belonged um, with my identities I can go next um I grew up in a really small, predominantly white town um, just outside of Salem, so pretty close. Um, as a kid, like, surrounded by my friends, I never felt like an outcast or, like, I didn't belong, but I definitely always kind of felt like, oh, yeah, I was the Asian friend or I was the Asian girl out of all of the other white girls. Um, but in my own household, I didn't feel that way. Um, my parents are both white, um, but my sister is also Chinese. 
um, adopted. And so that was something that was good for us to have that person with the same experiences and the same upbringing and mindset to connect with. Um, so I'm really grateful that I didn't have to go through those kind of emotions alone. Um, but as I got older, I think those emotions became more prevalent and more like there. And going off of what Sue Savan had just said, I definitely feel that like imposter syndrome all the time because I have no real Asian or Chinese roots. And so the only experience I have that are similar are those feelings of like physical discrimination or not feeling like you're Asian enough. I know a lot of my friends don't feel that way. And so more emotionally, I guess I can relate more to that. Um, but culturally, yeah, I don't think I do belong. And that's something that like I'm learning to get over, but it's definitely a big hurdle to feel, I guess, like left out or fake. Awesome, yeah. Honestly, it's interesting because compared to you three, I have a totally different experience and it does come with like, like just the location. Um, so again, me being born and raised in Hawaii, the Asian population is actually the majority. And so just to drop a little bit of stats <laughs> here, but uh, um, uh, yeah, in Hawaii, the Asian population is like 30, it's 38.6%. Um, and just from that 38%, um, 16% is just purely Filipino. And um, within the town that I lived in, in Waipahu, it's almost every single person I went to in high school were Filipino. So I actually had no problem growing up with like a difference of like, like, cause pretty much everybody was Filipino and had the same mm -hmm. culture. And even, even the, one, the ones that weren't Filipino, like Hawaii is such a melting pot with like different cultures of like, um, Samoan, other Pacific Islanders, um, um, and just um, other types of Asians as well, like Chinese, Korean, um, and so it the fact that it's we're all very similar in like our our culture also like everybody takes off their slippers in their house mm -hmm. and um, almost everybody eats rice <laughs> rice with their meals and so it, it it totally wasn't different for me growing up and um, that whole question of like if I didn't ever feel like belonging, that was nothing I've ever experienced until coming to the mainland actually. And so I, I wanna say I'm like privileged in that sense of like, you know, not being able to like experience like that kind of not belonging um, within my youth growing up. But I definitely did feel feel the repercussions in that. Like it, it, it is such a real thing, you know, here on the mainland and so, yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing everyone. Um, I guess for me, my upbringing was a little bit, a little bit stereotypical. Like um, I felt really like the weight of all the stereotypes when I was growing up. Like everybody was like, oh, she's so good at math. She's so good at school. She's gonna be like an engineer when she grows up, right? Cause I'm like the straight A student and I like am teacher's pet or whatever. <laughs> um, so in, in that sense, it was like, I felt like I had to I had some expectations of what I was supposed to be. So growing up, I, I felt like I cared a lot about like what, uh, how people saw me and that kind of affected like how, how I am today, where I'm like kind of like this people pleaser, a little bit submissive. 
Um, and in that way, I felt like I didn't belong in a sense that um, people like had this idea of who I was and when I didn't meet that expectation, uh, they treated me differently, you know? Mm. Um, so that was kind of what I went through and I really hated that I was Asian, um, especially when I was like in grade school when I had to go through like Chinese school, hated that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and I do kind of regret it now because I can't really read or write my language. Um, I can like kind of speak it, but it's like really elementary level. So I kind of do regret that. Mm-hmm. <sighs> All right. Um, any comments? <laughs> After I, hearing everybody's thoughts? Yeah, I, I actually want to jump in too. I think, Daisy, what you're saying and like, like growing up in a predominantly white area of like I grew up in Arizona um, in the Phoenix area but like East Mesa where it's like hecka white um, and like everyone I went to school with was like it was like predominantly white um, and like especially go- being in like AP honors classes it was like like I don't know for so long and I regret it now and I don't know if I talked about it last time but like for so long I would I didn't want to be brown you know or be like oh I'm so much lighter than my relatives because I'm Asian and I was proud of that you know but it's like I I so regret it now because I think there's so much beauty and like like I don't want to use excellence like beauty and like I would just say beauty in being brown and being Asian and being multiracial and like having these different identities um, that it like back then when you're a kid you don't and you're in a predominantly white area you just want to fit in um, which is normal and that's definitely okay and like it it shifts the way you kind of like see yourself which is sad and like how we have a society that allows black and brown kids, um, multiracial kids to think like that, you know? Um, and so like definitely younger me, I wish I would just tell them to like be proud of like your brown skin and like your Asian-ness and your nativeness and like be comfortable with it. Um, yeah, cause like for so long I wasn't. Um, and now I'm at a point of like, who was I? Like, who was I back then? And now I'm just, like, super proud and, like, always talk about it and always talk about, like, my identities because it's so important. Yeah, kind of jumping off of that, um, the whole wanting to fit in piece is definitely a huge, huge thing. Like, being, feeling like that singled out one person in that area makes you feel, like, not excluded, but definitely, like, you, it makes you want to be like them even more and kind of ignore mm-hmm. that um, aspect and just kind of blend in. And for me, especially, like, I didn't have parents that looked like me, so that was something I don't have negative emotions towards, but it's definitely something that I have to, like, grasp. And I really regret not asking those questions or pushing um, my curiosities earlier because I'm at the stage where I'm an adult and it just feels really, really weird and almost, like, 
not okay to talk to like my parents and be like hey I'm curious about this like it feels like it's almost my responsibility now than it is my parents Mm -hmm. and so I guess I regret not like telling them like hey I feel this way maybe we should do this like look into this as a family Mm -hmm. um I think it's a little odd to do it now as an adult awesome yeah that's an interesting perspective especially like um again you guys gone through similar things of like being being in that group of like you know not fitting in of course and so i guess really reflecting on like that intersectionality like what do you you think was the most difficult or like difficult moments you know experiencing uh, that you've experienced like with that intersect intersecting identity oh i can start (laughs) off um um the like first moment that i think of when i think about this question is um a conversation that i had with my grandfather um and and my my grandpa is kind of like the patriarch of the family you know he's like because in vietnamese culture it's like very patriarchal and it's very family oriented um and it's like very much like you have to respect your elders like their word is like absolute at least that's how I feel mm. um, and it it's just like sometimes I think about like how when I was like growing up and like me and my cousins would like go over to um, our grandfather's house to, like visit it's like okay um, girls go over here and you do your thing and boys do this this thing and that's like kind of like the first feeling that I had like of like oh I'm aware of my gender and I'm also aware of my race um and i felt like as especially as i grew up like you begin to see like adults treat you differently based on your gender and then other people treat you differently because of your race as well mm-hmm. so that was like hard for me to view myself as like th- there's already these expectations of me because of my race and gender um, yeah i guess that's the first moment i can think of not really that specific i guess mm-hmm. um i think for me again with the interesting perspective of like me growing up not feeling like the minority and um having growing up with people with the same culture it's it's crazy because even though even though we have like similar um like practices or culture and lifestyle the fact that again we we are like we do have different races play into so many different aspects to that intersectionality like yes i may be filipino but on top of that filipino culture there is also this um hawaiian local culture too like uh, i don't know if you guys hear this a lot but like we, we do coin the term like like sharing aloha and um whatsoever like uh that's just like an underlying like thing that we all share on top of like our own individual cultures as well and again it it plays into like that idea of like a melting pot like even though we have like our own different different like all we we all have our differences we it, it it just easily connects into the same culture and we all fit in and have that like same connection and experience regardless of like um the differences and i um one main thing i do want to point out too is like um 
the the pigeon you ever heard of like how um like people from hawaii like they speak pigeon or like have like this broken english type of way of talking um it's 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 interesting because on top of like yeah the broken english that that we we have you have different like term terminology and um like phrases and sayings that come from different cultures like uh, how do i say this um like japan we we have a lot of like japanese terms in there mm-hmm. also and phrases that we used within our pidgin language um on top of like filipino mm-hmm. it's it's hard to explain um but yeah just the fact that our languages are even like compiled into one when we all have like the same thing and using the same different like like we have our different languages and combining it into like our broken english is another form of like that intersectionality i think and that melting pot that we all share and so uh it really is again the difficult moment it was for me especially is just coming coming here in the mainland and really feeling that um repercussion of how different i really am compared to everybody else here and so yeah that would mm-hmm. be like the biggest culture shock for me <laughs> like daisy i think the most prominent <laughs> two would be racism and sexism um obviously like i was so physic looked physically different than everyone around me that i got like they weren't even like i knew they weren't intentional but it's the microaggression kind of comments where they're mm-hmm. like oh you look so like asian today like i don't know what that means don't i look asian all the time or i've gotten a comment mm-hmm. once um we're supposed to do like these reflective letters and like they're just supposed to be like nice comments to people and someone had like wrote on like my note they're like oh you're my favorite asian i was like we're in a room of white people i'm the only asian person like I don't know what that, I didn't know how to take that. I was actually kind of hurt by that because I was like, you couldn't think of anything else to say other than the way I physically look and I can't change that. So mm-hmm. with that, I also get comments of like, like, they're kind of gross, but they're like the comments were like, oh, you're so like submissive, you're so quiet. Like I've gotten comments like that a lot and that falls into that like stereotype of like small Asian woman are like these like sexual mm-hmm. fantasies that are submissive and like it's just so disgusting and I think those two are very prevalent in my life but um mm-hmm. with classism I don't feel like it's as prevalent but I think in a way I kind of am lucky I guess because my parents being white have that privilege and when I'm with them I don't feel like my parents are going to be discriminated against. I don't have that fear for them. I think they have that fear more for me and my sister. Um, for example, like when um, Corona broke out and there were all those horrible comments about the Chinese virus and now everyone that was Asian was just automatically associated with that um, and people were feared mm-hmm. for their parents and themselves. I didn't feel that way. And in that sense, mm-hmm. I'm lucky, and they don't have that stereotype where they are immigrants and they are illegal and they have to work hard. Like, not that my parents don't work hard, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I just don't feel like classism 
shows up as much in my life. Mm. Yeah, I was gonna say that too, like, can we expand more on that thought if we have time? Um, because it's so important, like, right? <laughs> it's, it, one, I think it's silence for a reason, um, and it plays into the idea that, like, Asian people fit into Western society when it's like, uh, no, people are literally attacking our relatives, literally our relatives for being Asian because of the rhetoric that is coming from the 45th president, you know? Um, and like people are dying, they're getting harmed, having to go to the hospital because of violence that white supremacists are doing against our families that look like us. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, but to go back onto that, the difficult moments um, that I like I experienced um, with my intersection uh, intersecting identities. Um, I think like kind of going off of like what Becca was saying um, in different ways of like. I've had even family members because, as I mentioned, I, I grew up with more of, like, my Diné side. Um, and it was, like, until... Probably until I was, like, five where we stopped talking or separated from my Laotian side because of, like, safety reasons um, that I wasn't associated with it. But then, like, now looking back, not that family members knew that microaggressions might have been done to us specifically as like Asian identifying people. Um, I have, it's me um, and my two siblings, uh, my brother and sister. And I think we're the only ones in our family that are part Laotian or part Asian. And one time it was so weird and I'm not gonna say how they're related to me, but we were sitting down and like, out of nowhere because they they watch a lot of like crime shows or like those action-based shows and how asian people are depicted within those like as like the criminals or like the bad guys one time like a family member was like oh you just really need to be careful around asian people of all everyone in our whole family it was like that was directed toward us or like said to us as a laotian asian people like being part Diné and Laotian and of course it's like well you didn't grow up with your Laotian side so like we consider you Diné and it's like well you can't separate me from my identity like that and so like the way that you talked about Asian folks is how you talk about me um and it was a very real conversation that we had and and our relationship is more like joking so we're like what did you mean by that and like kind of like messing with them and like kind of saying like that was messed up so hopefully they learned from that experience. Um, but yeah, like stuff like that comes up and like people try to play it off as cool or as nice or like as a compliment when it's like a backhanded compliment. Um, and it's like, well, you're not that type of Asian person. Um, you're like a nice Asian person. And it's like, you don't get to do that to my community um even though like i have been like separated in that way i don't think i 
consider myself separated you know like if you talk about our community it's it's about all of us like as we were mentioning the harm that has been done to our asian relatives because of like the rhetoric that the 45th president was saying it affects us all it doesn't just affect some of us um and like the concept that like kamala harris is now our vice president um she is also asian american and so it's like it uplifts us all so like this connection and ties of like because you aren't because i'm laotian and jonathan is like filipino or filipinex doesn't mean like the harms against asianness affect us different or like it like the harm that might happen to filipinex or Laotian people, it affects us both equally, you know? Like we are one community. Um, and I think like the intersection and people, I don't think people understand like how intersectionality works of like, they like to separate you because that's all America is, is like trying to put labels onto people. So especially multiracial people, it's like, well, you can experience this racism if you're part this you know or like you can't experience like I've gotten a lot of like people think I'm like white passing and I don't think I'm white passing <laughs> I'm pretty brown um, and so like this idea of like oh I'm white passing because I'm Asian and it's like no I don't think I'm white passing in general um, and two it's like this labeling of like because people say I am white passing that I don't feel the harm that has been done to native people or like vice versa of like because I am brown people don't think that the harm that has been done to Asian people affect me too and it's like it, we need to stop that rhetoric somehow because it does affect me what do you think th are some things we could do I guess or um like us within the Asian community that we could do to move towards that direction. Okay, so one, I think as a Asian community, and I've had this conversation actually yesterday with one of my friends um, that was really good about how we get to pick and choose who and who is not Asian when it's convenient for us and thinking about like Right, and that and that plays a lot within colorism and racism. So like the idea that Desi people, for example, they're a part of the Asian American community, um, which is the region of like India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh. Um, and oftentimes it's like we don't we exclude it for a specific reason or include it for a specific reason when it's to our benefit when it's like we we can't be playing that game anymore we just have to accept we have them in our community you know um or like even when we think about asianness in general people think automatically china to be honest like that right that's the first thought when people think asian um or like when someone's speaking an Asian language it, it resorts to Chinese first um, 
for a lot of reasons that American society just likes, I think, is just ignorant <laughs> in some ways that like they don't want to understand how complex and diverse Asia is and Asian identity is. Um, that it's like it it doesn't affect them like it affects us, right? Um, so I think it's important to understand that globally and contextually, and then for us as a like a API community is like the inclusivity of like how diverse API is. Like we just think we when we say a API, I know some people already have like visions or an image of what AP, an API person looks like, right? Like, and that's the bias that is built in because of how the structure is. Um, and so I want to like challenge our community to like think about who is in our community, um, how we support our community and what have we been doing to exclude people to heal? like not in a way to continue excluding but in a way to include them into the conversation include them in their experiences as asian american people asian people um those are just some thoughts and ideas for now i feel like i could just go on and on about this <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no yeah and i think i want to bring up an important topic too and something that you brought up like i learned from you is definitely that whole idea of blood quantum again going back to like um and for for I, I really believe that this is something that a lot of people and our viewers if you are listening should know about and really reabsorb is this idea of blood quantum that there are like I, and these are like conversations i've had with like um people and with like friends as well that again blood quantum it just as a simplification is like you know if i'm i say that like if i'm multiracial i'm like oh yeah i'm 75 percent this 25 percent that or um i'm 50 percent this 10 percent this and like um like the fact that you're quantifying or putting percentages on your identity and your ethnicity is is already i believe a toxic thing because it's it's yeah you're 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 like basically giving yourself a number of like how much you connect to that identity and for the folks that are yeah exactly no just because i'm 10 percent this doesn't mean i'm only 10 percent like yeah filipino no i'm i'm 100 percent filipino because i have that identity ingrained in me and um just just as an example like i think this is a prevalent thing too in hawaii and for um the Na for native americans as well um that um in hawaii uh um you're you're um you're um, how much you're connected or how much you are native Hawaiian by blood is what determines your um, your connections to like if you can go to like the um, private Hawaiian schools like Kamehameha um, schools and um, other schools they, they quantify your blood and the fact that no because because like I have only 10% Hawaiian this I'm not allowed to, to to those resources and that's why we still have a bunch of like native Hawaiians living homeless or on the beach and things like that like just people without resources when they deserve to have those resources provided by our government and so just another food for thought on like that type of intersectionality and how that plays in that toxic toxicity in our government so 
Yeah, no, for sure. And like, just to kind of clarify for the audience, because I've done like a presentation for the staff here, um, is like blood quantum. It was is a tactic specifically used for indigenous people, but I feel like it's adopted and it's a colonial tool. Um, and we see this around the world how people quantify identity, and so to be enrolled into like some um, that are actually to be enrolled into like a federally recognized tribes which is also a status as well which is kind of is problematic um it's like you have to be a certain amount of percent to identify as that so like for i'll use Diné as an example because that's where i'm from so for the Diné people the federal government kind of gave all native tribes of like this is a an example of what you can do so we have like a quarter um, of this identity so you have to be a quarter or more Diné to be enrolled into the Navajo Nation um, but that has been adopted by a lot of communities outside of that specifically it's been put on a lot of in not the same way that like you can be enrolled but the same tactic to pin us against each other in a lot of ways onto BIPOC people um, so like we use that as a way of like Oh, as, as Jonathan was mentioning, it's like, oh, I am 50% Navajo and 50% Laotian. And it's like, no, you're, you're Laotian and you are Navajo. It's like, you shouldn't have to quantify your identity to make sense for other people. Um, and I think that's a really important topic when we're talking about intersectionality because it affects a lot of people in the United States and outside of the United States too. Um, because that brings up the point of like, oh, this person is only 50% Laotian, they don't know anything about our culture. And it's like, you can't do that to, that's excluding community members in a lot of ways. Or like, just because you, someone might have like 10% of a specific identity doesn't mean they're tied to it less than another person. It's only you're tied to it less because of socially, social, social construction of how identity is formed by whiteness <laughs> that kind of made me think about my own identity as multi-ethnic since i'm like chinese and vietnamese um i do see my relatives quantifying their identity and it's like interesting to hear about because i i, I didn't i didn't understand why like my relatives sometimes they like talk about like Maybe my Vietnamese relatives badly or like vice versa and it's this idea that you're more of this so you have to like you have you, there's more weight to it um mm. so th that kind of just opened my eyes a little bit because like I never really understood why why we had to talk badly about somebody just because they're like less of an le less of an ethnicity than we are um, so yeah, I just wanted to add that because mm -hmm. that was a little eye-opening for me. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, kind of with that, I think um, mm -hmm. outside mm -hmm. of BIPOC communities, I think white people do it, but to an extent where it alleviates a sense of guilt and like responsibility. Like, um, for example, like, I know people that are very into, like, the whole Ancestry.com, how much blood they are, and people are like, I'm, like, 
0.00001% black, yeah. so I know what it feels like. And you're like, what? What is that? <laughs> you just found out about this, like, a day ago. That doesn't mean that you understand yeah. or even have tried to educate yourself <laughs> on the struggles that that specific community has been dealing with. And that, to me, is, like, really frustrating to see as well because it's, it's pitting... BIPOC people against BIPOC people, but then we're already fighting with um, that white supremacy idea, so. Yeah, that's so true, Becca. Like, or I think a lot of people use it, white people, I'll say, use it to, like, Mm -hmm. be like, oh, I can't be racist because I am point this of native or something, or, like, I am native to, and it's like, you can't, it's like a way of trying to relate with BIPOC folks, which is very toxic in in a lot of ways, Um, because one, you can't, there's nothing in our DNA that literally says (laughs) we're this, you know, like, nothing in our DNA says, like, you are Laotian, or you are Navajo, you know, like, it just, you, it doesn't work like that, Um, and so, uh, yeah, that it just becomes super problematic and an invention mm-hmm. by whiteness to feel included in the conversations um, or to allow mm-hmm. themselves to be like, I am not racist because I have this part in me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think that's all the time we have for today. But again, thank you for um, sharing your own personal experiences and ideas on this very important and um, touchy subject but again something that everybody needs to hear and ponder about on their own identity and um, again to keep an eye out for Daisy's docuseries I Am I Am Not um, and for the conversations and ideas that she'll be expanding in that docuseries as well uh, any last words from you too Daisy? <laughs> uh, yes um, yeah thank you for having me uh, and for sure uh, the trailer is actually out um I don't know how I can get the link out, but there's definitely a trailer. Oh. <laughs> so click, click on the link below. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna make it a thing. Don't okay. Worry. Cool. <laughs> awesome. But yeah, and then keep keep an eye out for um, our uploads for our next episode as well, and our pre our first episode if you haven't checked it out yet. So Bye. yeah, again, thank you. I'll see you guys. Bye. Bye.